be prepared to change your paradigm or to adapt your paradigm. It is no longer just a question of return of investment. It is a question of return of excellence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Asian Banking and Finance podcast in partnership with SmartStream. My name is Simon Hyatt, and I am the contributing editor of Asian Banking and Finance magazine. I will be your host today. Ladies and gentlemen, digital wallet adoption in Asia is amongst the highest on the planet. Banks who ignore this fact can find themselves in deep water, especially as consumers demand more contactless ways to purchase goods and services. In partnership with Asian Banking and Finance, SmartStream will discuss the different ways digital wallets have changed Asia's payments landscape. In this podcast, we will learn about the pros and cons of the increased use of digital wallets in consumer payments, identify solutions for banks' challenges trying to engage customer preferences for contactless payments, and find out what role payment services firms play in the rising adoption of digital wallets. Joining me today is Joseph Chan, CEO of AsiaPay, and Roland Brandley, Strategic Product Manager, Digital Payments at SmartStream. Joseph and Roland, welcome. Great to see you both. Great. Thanks for having us. You're most welcome. Always great to speak to you, gentlemen. Now, perhaps I can start off this episode. I'd like to ask uh, you, Joseph, Digital wallet adoption in Asia is amongst the highest in the world, as we just mentioned. What are the pros and cons of the increased use of digital wallets in consumer payments? Definitely. When the uh, digital commerce started in Asia, uh, while the, uh, the earlier popular payment methods would be cost, but in Asia, there's still a large populations of consumers who may not have easy access to cost. So definitely come up page of digital wallets, definitely enhance self-conversion with more ad convenience, especially those consumers in the Asian market that have that less access. Secondly, is speed. Like now, uh, for digital wallets like Apple Pay or Google Pay, and that you speed up the payment time at checkout and retail and minimize drop out while paying online, mobile, and remote. Third of all, it's more secure and less fraud ratio. Basically, if you put a strong authentication like Touch ID and uh, tokenizations and password. And fourth of all, it's convenience. More consumers can manage choice of payment type, methods, cards, and be bought in one single your wallet easily. The fifth of these definitely is drive continued digital adoptions in the Asian market, you know, make the uh, community more green, and contribute to a more cashless retail environment and further enhance the GDP in the Asian economy. Thank you very much, Joseph. Mr. Roland Brandley from SmartStream, what do you think digital? wallet adoption is amongst the highest in the world in this region. What are the pros and cons? Well, I mean, I would definitely underwrite what Joe said. There's a huge amount of pros. It's also, you know, encourages people to use these um, services. It's a lot easier to use. But I do think one of the things that we have to understand is it also changes the mindset of the customer. So as you get used to being able to do this so easily and so quickly, and so securely, one of the things is the expectations rise of the customer. So it's really important you get the service right because there's nothing else that you want your customer to have except a smooth service because you can imagine if I'm using now my digital wallet on my phone to buy a ticket on a train, if that doesn't work properly, I'm going to get very agitated as a customer. So not only is the expectation higher, 
but especially when things happen that do not work properly, you have to have a much better response to actually address them. So the focus on things like exception management are really important. And this means you have to really have very good transactional control. There is also an element, which I think we're just realizing now in 2022, which we see in Europe, which we have to be aware of could happen anywhere in the world. And that is with the increased consumption of energy, we are seeing a lot more problems of energy suppliers delivering that energy. So we've even seen now in developed nations where they're saying, you know, maybe we have three hours of blackout where we have to take into account that customers won't necessarily have that understanding and link the two. So it's really important to make those resi systems resilient. And there are things that are unexpected. So we all rely on the digital world and it's a great thing, but we also have to provision for the unexpected. But otherwise, in general, I think what the great thing is and around the Asian story is how much more convenient it is to pay. And let's face it, this is the same thing that we saw with the credit cards 30, 40 years ago. The more convenient it is to pay for things, the more people consume. Roland, while I have you on microphone, what do you think are the main pain points for banks when trying to engage customers who prefer to use digital wallets? And how can this be addressed? Can you walk us through some of your solutions? Well, I think there are two points, and again, I think one other thing is the digital wallets are quite often now, and we're seeing a predominance of people like Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, Google Pay. So in actual fact, a lot of the digital wallets are being fronted by fintech companies. And so the bank tends to move into the background. So if you ask some of the young people, what bank do you have? They'll say, oh, I have Apple. And actually they don't. They have a Visa card provided by a bank. So I think there is that part about it where banks will have to adjust because if they're doing a digital wallet fronted by a fintech, it's going to be very much around their cost of service, their application of excellence, because that's what the fintech will be looking at, moving it much more into a commoditized product. When banks are doing it themselves, which is also a very good idea, it is a lot of investment and it requires a slightly different change of mindset. Predominantly in banking, people have looked at the profitability of products in order to decide if they want to launch them or not. Um, in this space, it's completely different. This is about satisfying a demand, which allows you to create a profit. So I think there's a completely different mindset in when you're launching these types of products. What can you do to actually manage your pain points? The first thing is you have to break your operations down to a transactional level. So if you think about it, a transaction is like a molecule and within the transaction, you have atoms, which are different attributes. It's really important to get there because these volumes are constantly increasing. They're getting higher and higher. And if you don't have a control at that level, the issue you might be facing is, should any regulations come in? Should any requirements be set to you as a bank? It's very difficult to adapt to that fast if you're not at that most granular level. It's also very important around handling, again, things that go wrong. We know the cost of chargebacks is inhibitively high, but we also know it's not just a question of cost. Again, it's a question of reaction. In today's age, where things happen in seconds, you know, if it takes you three, four weeks 
or maybe even longer to handle a chargeback, you're going to face a reputational issue. And I think that will come much more to the forefront. So it's really about changing the mindset, moving more to being a service provider, also as a bank. And we need to be ready for that. Thank you for that, Roland. Joseph, what do you think? What are the main pain points for banks when trying to engage customers? And how can these pain points or challenges be addressed in your opinion? I think the, the first of all is the knowledge, the understanding of each of these digital wallets works. I think that, uh, you know, when there's a new players who you know, bring a new wallet to the market, the bank be not too aware on what positions they may like to take. So I think that, uh, you know, along that exercise, HBA as a fintech company will arrange workshops, webinars, the merchant to understand the operations in, and implementations of accepting new uh, digital wallets in Asia. The second point is that uh, some banks do want to extend these um, cover payment services to cover some of these uh, digital wallets like uh, WeChat, Alipay. But the challenge is that banks have their own long legacy payment system or third party system. They may not easily uh, customize easily to add in new digital wallets, so to speak. So to help these uh, banks to kind of uh, more uh, extend acceptance of these alternative payments for the existing uh, merchants. So we sort of plan to develop a white label alternative payment gateway services for banks in Asia. The third of this is that the merchant acceptance proof. There are some banks who offer their own wallets to their merchants. The challenge is that along the uh, provision of the uh, wallet account is not enough. We have to make available as a fintech company or payment company to provide the kind of interfaces toolkit for those uh, merchants with the ready checkout by the API SDK to ensure the journey of a checkout seamlessly lands onto the wallet. So these are the three main points. Thank you very much, Joseph. Leading on from that, Joseph, how do you think this contactless payments method will evolve? And what can banks do to continue to adopt to these changes? First of all, you see their biometrics authentication is only more on one cam on the mobile side. I think there will be more pilot and adoptions. And secondly, there are more digital commerce that doesn't require the payments with a post machines. So that more customers now can use contactless payment to pay at the retail, even directly at the apps, without NFC, without contact payment transactions. And there are more talks about digital wallet adoptions that are in IoTs, in car, in vehicle payments. And kind of a digital cashless contactless payment also pay a vital role in the Web 3.0 at uh, your hardly can take uh, contact payments in that space. And digital wallets will continue to evolve. It will go beyond just a wallet of payment instruments or history checking. It will cover more like reward schemes and even digital assets, we believe. And beyond payments, we have seen uh, some uh, wallet in Asia continue to expand into a super apps that even can cover facilities like transport booking, deliveries, food ordering, and even investments. And we see that the non-bank or FIs like payment company will continue to play a more important role in this uh, eco platform in the fintech market to enable and facilitate the adoption and solution formulations of more continuous payment methods. So what can a bank to do to continue to adapt these changes? I think have to think and act more digitally along the market trends. It will be continue to strengthen its uh, payment product and solution suites to address the needs of the, the merchants and the consumers. And third of all, definitely would partner with a new startup payment solution firm to optimize the synergies and better understand the market needs and come up with new solutions bundled to better serve. Thanks. Roland, in your opinion, how do you think the contactless payment method will evolve? And what about banks in terms of adoption and adaptation? 
Well, I think the first thing is how will they evolve? It's all about convenience, okay? And this is what companies like EasyPay, et cetera, and AsiaPay do very well. They understand what is of benefit to the client. And they also have that agility because they're looking at it from that perspective. I mean, I was yesterday in a restaurant and I asked to actually pay. And the waiter said, oh, you can't pay with us. You just copy this QR code. And the bill was instantly there. It knew exactly which table we were there. You know, we didn't even have to enter in the card details. It just happened. That is such a wonderful experience, right? Once you have that once and a customer has experienced that once, he begins to question himself, why don't I have that experience in other places? Or the next restaurant, why have I asked the waiter now three times if I can pay? So you really can't beat that. But then coming back to the thing is, what can banks do to continue to adapt to these changes? I think a lot of banks have to ask themselves, are they really set up to compete with that sort of customer orientation, especially in the retail business? I mean, I had this discussion with a major bank about three or four years ago where they actually said, you know what, we've tried building apps, we've tried building wallets, we're not going to bubble. We're going to let the fintechs do that, but we're going to make sure that when the fintechs needs a backbone to enable it, because that's what the fintech will always need, is that we are absolutely the number one choice. So we have the best operations at the cheapest price that are resilient and efficient, because it is the two of them working together which creates the product. So I think there is that question that banks have to ask themselves, is it really worth the investment creating their own wallets, creating their own offerings when there are fintechs out there who are really, really good at it? And it is, I mean, we just also won a, a design award for one of our products, a red dot design, which is actually an industrial design, which is really important because it's all about ease of use. I know people, they will change nowadays their bank just because they don't like the app. That's a completely different situation to what we were used to five or 10 years ago. So I think it is a question, where do I want to position myself as a bank? Which providers, which fintechs do I want to partner with? Or do I want to do it myself? But also see that this is ever evolving. There are more and more offerings around this and it's becoming more and more important to people as is the phone becoming much more central. So I would always recommend a fintech to remember whilst everyone is beginning to rely on their phones more and more. We do have for every single person in this world, one singular disaster scenario. And that is what happens if you lose your phone because everything's on there. We all have so many passwords. So most of us use a password keeper. You know, if you lose your phone and you haven't done the due diligence backing it up, potentially do have a problem. Yeah, and so I think there's also that thing to look at for the app providers, for the fintechs, but also for all the banks is be prepared. Not all of your customers will back up their phones. You might have to also think of that for them at the beginning because people are people. If these things happen, they very rarely blame themselves. Yeah, they rarely, rarely, rarely turn around and say, oh, well, it's my fault because I didn't back up the phone. I don't have a copy of all this stuff. They tend to blame why is it not working anymore and blame the person who's providing the service. So there's lots of aspects that will come into that in the future, but it is a very exciting time and, and we all profit from it. You know, it's, it's so easy nowadays 
with things like these Apple Pays, Samsung Pays, Asia Pays to use these services, it makes it much more interesting for a client. Roland, you just sent me into a cold sweat and I naturally gravitated to my jacket pocket to check my phone's actually still there. So thanks for the reminder. Sometimes it's blatantly obvious. I said, you know, power cuts, political unrest, losing your phone. These are the things we tend to forget in the tech world, right? Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. But thanks for the reminder. Roland, why do you think it's important for banks to continue to partner with payment solutions firms in a world with a growing number of contactless payment options? Well, as I said, I think they just think differently. I think, you know, when you look at the world of fintechs, they're always looking to identify a problem which they can solve that satisfies a customer need. And they look less at the profitability of that in the initial stages. You know, they're also happier with less to be a certain, to a certain degree. I do think that as we see things evolving, you know, fintechs will become more and more powerful. Anybody knows in the end, the person who holds the power is the person who holds the customer. You know, as much as we would like to say, oh, well, in the banking world, that's not necessarily true because you also need your mortgages, your loans, and your investment products and all those things. That will change as well, much as we saw in other industries where the predominant part of the industry had to adapt and change to the new requirements of the client because clients just see things differently. And so I do think it's really important to find good payment providers, really good really important to have good fintech providers, and maybe as said, accept that in some spaces they are just better at what they do than a traditional bank. You know, that is really important. The other thing is focus on the volumes. The volumes will increase exponentially. You know, the way that we use credit cards five years ago has changed. Yeah, a credit card was something that we used to hand to someone and it was a transaction. We wouldn't use it necessarily as customers predominantly. Once you move to wallets, contactless payments, you suddenly find yourself for every small amount using your wallet or your contactless payments. That's a huge increase in transactions for a bank. They have to be actually able to handle the volume, but also the breadth of the transaction, meaning all the data that's delivered with it, because obviously that is of great interest to everyone. I think there's quite a lot of things there to be done still. Some very salient points there, Roland. Thank you very much for that. Joseph, in your opinion, why is it important for banks to continue to partner with payment solution firms, given the growing number of contactless payment transactions and options? Joseph? I think the simplest of, uh, statement of this is to cover the not yet covered. In a cooperative uh, pa uh, partnership model, the banks and payment service provider combine force to offer complete merchant and much more holistic um, your digital contactless wallet payment solutions to cover locally and regionally. First of all, I think it's time to market. While the uh, merchants are hungering for more new digital payment uh, wallet acceptance, so banks can capitalize on payment firms' R&D technologies, solution capabilities, and resources, even merchant-based and partnership to help to bring this to the market to the uh, bank clients. And secondly, as I agree with Roland, uh, the cost and resource justifications. A bank hardly have all the IT resources, know-how, time, and expertise to develop all these awards or payment solutions in the market. So by partnering with the payment firms, it can fast-track all these with minimal investments on necessary deployments and save all these unnecessary running overheads if done in-house. 
And third of all, by these uh, synergies, it minimizes the uh, technological risk borne by the banks, rather on the payment solutions firm, expertise, and know-how. The fourth of all, I think it's a good uh, share and mix of our role and their efforts on shift and merchants. The bank can play their role as a merchant acquirers or a bank commercial banking providers, where else the fintech company can provide its own resources, skill sets, and relationship to better serve the merchants along the digital journey. Joseph, as the CEO of AsiaPay, I'd particularly like to put this question to you first. What can you advise banks to do as the world grows increasingly reliant on contactless forms of payment, such as digital wallets? So I'd like to hear, Joseph, from you first on that. What would you advise banks? I think the first move tumbles up on my mind is I think the people, the resources. I think first of all is to invest in and best retain the necessary digital talents in the bank. Secondly, I think the bank could continue to focus more on these digital payments uh, evolutions as a new opportunities for growth. Because quite some of these uh, digital wallets in Asia attract a lot of unbanked, and this customer segment can be targeted and expand to these uh, customer segments uh, as a part of the financial inclusion strategies. And second of all, I think definitely bank will continue to embrace technology and market changes on digital wallet adoptions and should formulate effective strategies and plans on exploring new partnerships and product models and innovation, especially those banks who are deploying their own bank wallet. At the class of all, I think banks could continue to be much more proactive to cooperate or collaborate with wallet and distributed payers and support joint programs with merchants on accepting digital wallets to stimulate our wallet usage and also uh, as a part of the retention strategies of the bank. Thank you, Joseph. Uh, Roland, could you speak in addition to what uh, Joseph has just said regarding advising banks as the world grows increasingly reliant on contactless payments? Well, I think I look at it this obviously from a much more operational perspective because, you know, that's what SmartStream does. It's operational control. I think one of the things that banks have to be prepared for is to actually think about changing their operating environments to be able to, as said, handle the volume. I think we will see in the future, they will need to have a lot more flexibility around how they can adjust their business processes. I see something coming on the table at one point in terms of regulatory requirements around the fees and billing. Just if you have a look, if you Google how many penalties over the last 10 years have been delivered on fees and billing. I think banks need to have that much better under control, which again implies that you have to have a much more granular control around these transactions. I think one of the things that we'll also see is they'll have to improve their chargeback and dispute capabilities. There's still too many and it's still too costly to actually do, which leads to a potential write-off which becomes even more costly, especially if you're doing it over a third party, if you don't have transparency to that. That's where people talk about things like revenue leakage. So I think there's still a lot to do around that. And again, I think you have to be aware that these things now create much bigger waves. So there's a huge opportunity for any bank today because they can actually, with these products, go completely global, something which was unfathomable five or 10 years ago. And so we'll see a lot of new players in the game. But I also see the issue, if you look of, again, the reputate, reputational impact. If you see the waves that are thrown just when, say, an ATM isn't working, 
or a, a digital portal isn't working of a bank, okay? And wallets are actually quite good because they can bridge that gap. But on the other hand, if something does go wrong, it tends to hit the press very, very quick. So you could have done every day, you know, 10, 20 million payments successfully for the last eight years, and you have one slip up in four hours and it can potentially hit the papers. So I think it's something that we really have to be aware of. It is a fantastic opportunity. It is a really good thing for the clients, for the customers. It's really nice to use, but it also becomes a much more difficult thing if something goes wrong. And we have to be aware of that because that's the digital world. Very, very wise counsel from both of you. Now, gentlemen, we have five or six more minutes for this podcast. And I have a couple of broad questions left, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on both these final questions. Roland, if I can look to you first, can you please get three or four pieces of wisdom to keep in mind with respect to remaining flexible in the changing payments landscape? Roland. My first piece of wisdom is probably the most boring thing that people don't want to listen to, but that is standardization. Keep to standards. In a world of ever unfolding opportunities, as business people, we trend to like the idea of something being unique or proprietary. And that's very much present in the banking world. What we don't realize is this also has a big, big impact on the costs. If we want people to use these products more and more, they have to be kept at a basis where it's affordable. And one of the biggest ways of making an affordable operation is keep to standards. If you're good at what you do, you won't lose your customer, be it the end consumer or the fintech, but it will be so much easier to adapt if you have a standard process. And I think this is something we just have to get used to in the banking world. And we see it now with the ISO 20022. And we saw it also with the ISO 8583, which was developed actually for the digital payments world, where very few actually adopted it. It does cost money at the beginning, but it saves so much effort, work, and pain for everybody in the chain, including the consumer, if people actually understand and use the same data sets. I think that is one of the most important things that we can see moving forward. The other thing is, Think about the instantaneous nature of this business in future. It is now when something goes wrong, every customer feels this immediately. So what we've done in the past around fixing problems about exception management needs to become just as fast as the actual transaction process. You cannot explain to a client when something goes through in a matter of seconds, if there's a problem, it takes weeks. He won't understand that. And so it really is important that we focus on that because that's part of the customer journey. The quicker that you can resolve an issue for him, the better the customer will feel about you. The longer it takes, the less understanding he has. And the mindset has changed. I give a simple example. Just imagine yourself. You went to Amazon online, you wanted to buy a product, you've seen the product, it says it's in stock, it gives you the price, it's asking you to pay, and then it says, we will inform you in two or three days when it will be delivered. 
you would never use Amazon. You go to a shop. Just that fact that they can tell you already the moment that you decide to buy this product, when it will be delivered, is what makes this product convenient. That is the expectation of the client. You can't explain to him, oh, well, you know, we could transfer your money in a couple of seconds or in five minutes, but, oh, we have a problem, you're going to have to wait for three. That's just doesn't fit to their mindset anymore. And we really have to think about those things in future. Because it is, it's a, it's a brave new world out there with a brand new customer experience, but it's an experience from beginning to end. And so I think those are the things that I would look at. Also, in terms of you can't afford to really employ that many people with the volume of transactions. You need to be able to automate. So I do hope that we can find a common goal in making this a really smooth customer journey, which he values, and then he will use our products more and more. Joseph Chan, love to hear your three or four pieces of wisdom to keep in mind with respect to the changing payments landscape, sir. We have a term commonly in the tech world. I think it's a quite old term, TCPIP. So I'm not sure if the audience uh, report this term. And that are the, uh, the five you know, things I would like to share. The first T stands for time. Your bank today have to act fast and even act now. The C letters is collaborate with the right parties at all time. The first P, GCP, the P is to prioritize focus and the resources effectively. The fourth letter I, I will use it for innovate. You know, innovate and be on the box. You know, stay out of the comfort zone from away from a being a traditional banks. The second P of TCPIP is actively participate in the digital community, the ecosystem, the industry. Thank you very much, Joseph. Thank you very much, Roland. Joseph, if I could get you to summarize your points, I'll ask both of you this uh, question. It's one of my favorites when I'm hosting, when I have the pleasure of hosting these Asian Banking Finance podcasts. Joseph, if our kind listeners today forget everything we've talked about, what would be a one or two sentence take-home message that you would not want listeners to forget, Joseph? I think at all time, banking is a financial service. How to vow, if make a vow effect to our clients, how to expect, how to exceed their expectations in the years to come. Wonderful summary. That's what I like. Roland, a take-home message from you, sir. If listeners were to forget everything, what would you say they mustn't forget from today's podcast? I would say be prepared to change your paradigm or to adapt your paradigm. It is no longer just a question of return of investment. It is a question of return of excellence. And this will make all the difference in the future. Well, thank you very much, Joseph Chan. Roland Brandley, it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you both. A really fantastic session, and I think some very important points raised, much really to consider. Gentlemen, once again, Joseph, Roland, thank you very much for joining us today at Asian Banking and Finance. That's all from our offices today, ladies and gentlemen, from this podcast. We'll be back with more news, views, and insights from the financial industry very, very soon. As mentioned, my name is Simon Hyatt. I've been your host today, and I thank you all very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Good day to you all. Mm -hmm.